Welcome to A Matter of Law, a Hogan Lovell series that takes a deep dive into the latest developments that are shaping the legal world. Our team of lawyers will provide insight into crucial and rapidly evolving issues and address the risks that can lead from the boardroom to the courtroom. Shareholder activism has steadily been on the rise. It continues to make headlines around the world. For investors, it's an opportunity to be heard. It's a chance to bring about change in how a company operates. For companies, it can be a difficult time. If investor demands don't align with board priorities and decisions, there's potential for business to be disrupted, for litigation to ensue, for intense media scrutiny, and a real risk to a company's future and its reputation. One area of shareholder activism that has been increasingly making headlines is how a company handles its ESG strategy. Investors are scrutinising companies' environmental, social and governance plans and are beginning to demand greater change. I'm Kushal Ved, counsel in our Singapore office. Here to discuss what this means for businesses around the world are Hannah Piper, Olaf Gartner and Antonia Croak. Hannah is a partner in our London office, Olaf a partner in our Munich office, and Antonia is a partner in our London office, having recently returned from Hong Kong. I'd like to start a discussion by first defining a bit more about what an activist investor is and how they might work. Hannah, can I turn to you first? So the basic premise of how companies are run around the world is obviously um, that a shareholder doesn't make decisions or run the company on a day-to-day basis. That's the purpose of the board and the executive management. But shareholder activism cuts across this and seeks to direct how a company is run and what it does. And large institutional shareholders in particular, if they get together, can exert a lot of influence. So there are several ways in which a shareholder could seek to do this. Um, And I think the route or routes that they choose um, will depend on their motivations and what it is they're trying to achieve. So you have what might be called a personal campaign, which might be a push to get rid of directors, change the board, or add directors at the instigation of the activists. And that kind of activity arises a lot at AGMs, and we've seen that with varying degrees of success. Shareholders can also look to influence the company's business and its strategic priorities, such as investing in a particular area or not investing in a particular area, closing down operations in a particular location, or vetting suppliers more carefully. And then you have issues relating to shareholder value, attempts to push for a merger or a demerger, or a buyback operation, declaring a dividend. Activists in this category are often what might be described as genuine or long-term investors who are really focused on financial returns. And then finally, and perhaps most relevantly for ESG, you have what may be described as campaigning issues, These are issues which are often promoted by NGOs who've purchased shares in the company with the aim of changing or determining the way in which the companies run, often by threatening litigation if the campaign isn't successful. And this so-called agenda activism is all about putting the spotlight on a particular cause. It can overlap with some of the other categories we've just described. How controversial is shareholder activism? Can it really bring about active, positive change to a company and be harmonious? Or is it more often than not somewhat contentious? Olaf, I'll give that one to you. Certainly in the highly public campaigns we have been seeing, 
these kind of campaigns usually can't go without uh, controversial issues. However, as Hannah just explained, there are various kinds of activist shareholders and there are various kinds of, of activism you see. This means that outside of the spotlight, you more often than not also see engagements between the company and the activists where they really try to find a mutual, better way forward for the company. So it does, does happen. And as a general uh, rule of thumb, you can say the more it is in the public space, the harder it is to find a harmonious way forward for the company. Let's talk about the rise in ESG shareholder activism. Antonia, what are some of the biggest issues here? What are shareholders looking to accomplish? It's interesting because obviously during the pandemic, we saw a bit of a lull in shareholder activism, particularly in the first two years of the pandemic. I think there was a view from a number of activists that in the context of a global public health emergency, it, it wasn't the time to be using usual activist strategies. And I think in particular, you had activists and a number of different shareholders sitting back and thinking, what is going to have happen to this company? How will the pandemic impact them? What does their balance sheet look like? And there was a lot of uncertainty in the first couple of years. As we know, there were many companies who did well in the pandemic and others who really suffered. The other thing that helped companies who deal with shareholder activists during that period is there was obviously a lack of in-person meetings. We saw AGMs largely go online for the first time. And it's much harder to be an activist at a Zoom meeting than it is at an in-person meeting. It was very easy to check who was registering, to turn those meetings off, and to remove activists who were trying to disrupt. But you know, now that we've come out of the pandemic, I think we've seen a shift back to pardon the pun, very active activists. And it's becoming more prevalent than ever before. In particular, in the ESG era, we've seen a huge range of activities. We've seen entire boards or directors on boards being voted out and replaced. We have seen um, a significant number of proposals put forward by activists to reduce emissions and focus on climate change. And we, we're even seeing legal claims being brought against companies uh, in relation to energy transition. And of course, there's been, particularly this year and last year, an enormous amount of disruption at in-person AGMs and even the need to have police at some of them and stopping AGMs and having to restart them. So it's certainly activism is back and it's back in a big way. I would say we're seeing a lot of the activity within um, EMEA and Australia and, of course, the US. There are parts of Asia where the mood music is different. And, of course, we have the anti-SG movement across the US as well that is also having an impact. Hannah, as we move into 2024, are we likely to see more litigation in the future? What is the risk to companies? So Antonia's mentioned that we have seen some legal claims by shareholders, but they do need to think quite carefully before commencing formal litigation, particularly in jurisdictions where there are adverse consequences to losing. So in England, for example, we have seen one NGO investor recently be ordered to pay a very substantial legal bill after failing in its attempts to bring a shareholder claim against the directors. In England, that's called a derivative claim, and that type of claim is exceptional and requires the court's permission. 
So that's an additional hurdle for shareholders to have to overcome. And the cost for failing is obviously quite significant. But having said that, where you're looking at a listed company, there is a specific statutory mechanism for a shareholder to bring a claim if uh, they say they have suffered losses arising in relation to disclosures. And we have seen that deployed uh, a few times in, in recent years. So I think the attractiveness of litigation really rather depends on what it is the shareholder is complaining of and what it is they're seeking to achieve by bringing legal proceedings. On the other hand, there are a number of so-called softer methods of uh, activism and shareholders have little to lose by those in many ways. I'm thinking here of claims for misleading advertising or complaints for misleading advertising, campaigning and shareholder resolutions, which Antonio and Olaf have already touched on. And I expect to see um, the rise in those forms of activism continuing as the ESG agenda gains even uh, more momentum. And just looking at the UK, for example, we have seen the Advertising Standards Authority um, take action against a number of companies recently in relation to, to greenwashing claims. So I fully anticipate that trend will continue and that shareholders may seek to use that avenue in order to hold companies to account. We're also seeing litigation funders dedicating resources to shareholder activist claims. Now, for those who don't know, litigation funders provide financing to those whose claims they think have merit, but don't have the finances in order to move to litigation. Antonia, can you elaborate a bit more on what you're seeing in this space? It's a really interesting area because, as Hannah said, we're seeing a rise in you know activist litigation and people trying new claims, novel claims, new areas of law. And so that is obviously reflected, particularly in the UK and the US, by the litigation funds themselves. And a number of these litigation funds market themselves as providing access to justice, allowing people to bring claims who wouldn't ordinarily be allowed to. And that was certainly the basis on which they came to market in the UK originally. But the thing to remember is, of course, a number of these funds are making a commercial investment in the bid to get a high return. So we certainly see funds establish specific funds within their larger portfolio where they think they'll achieve the greatest returns. And in recent years, that has certainly been in areas which are susceptible to class actions or group litigation. And I think as Hannah has rightly identified, ESG and greenwashing claims are very likely to be areas of focus in years to come. And in particular, given that those types of claims, and particularly ones that also focus on the company's own climate change objectives, given the reputational risk, such cases may very well have a greater likelihood of settlement than other types of litigation, which would make them attractive to litigation funders. Of course, this will depend on the remedy that is sought at court, and some activists may be motivated to achieve different types of change. However, we certainly understand that the funds are seeing an uptick in requests to invest in ESG-related cases in Australia and the US, and obviously the UK as well. And then I think the last piece of the puzzle is that there are a number of claimant firms or boutique firms that are now starting to run major ESG litigation cases 
on perhaps a pro bono basis or even on a contingency basis, perhaps with a success fee, uh, really just to enhance their visibility in the market in relation to these claims. Olaf, what role are lobbying groups playing in shareholder activism? Lobbying groups certainly play a very important role in shareholder activism, particularly in Europe, but also in other parts of the world. ESG goals and to achieve them is seen as an inevitable evolution. And so as this has been for many years the case, to advocate for this change has been a strong focus of lobbying groups all over the world. And what are they doing? They do obviously various things, but in particular, if you want to look at it from a very high level, they are, for example, pushing lawmakers and their projects to, for example, increase disclosure obligations of corporations and what they spend on ESG projects. They are giving financial support to shareholders in their activist projects. And also they are um, rallying support in favor of influencing the public opinion, so which in turn will then influence regulators and lawmakers in the individual actions and projects. A final question. What other trends can we expect to see in 2024? Antonia, I'll start with you. So I have three key trends that I think we're going to see in 2024. And and I'm looking at this with an APAC hat on. One, I think there will be a continued focus on board changes. Activists have been really successful in trying to win seats and also in um, their attempts to remove directors and replace them with people who are deemed to be more ESG-friendly candidates. I think we will see that continue. Climate change will remain a huge focus for activist investors in Australia and probably around the world. And the other really interesting area I think we will see an increase is in Japan. We've seen the activist funds start to focus on Japanese companies that are listed on the Tokyo Stock Exchange and really push them to increase the value of their share price and manage their balance sheets. Olaf, what are your thoughts? In Europe, from my point of view, you will see one especially important trend, and that is that the regulation of ESG issues will continue, in particular with a focus on the so-called greenwashing, which is a big topic in, in the EU. Um, so there, there's overall a general consensus on the fight against climate change. And so there's very, very few dissenting voices in continental Europe. These uh, regulations will bring about challenges for the corporations to live up to relatively high standards and to continue being agile and vigilant about what is happening and what the regulators request them to do and what they have to focus on. And if they slip in any of these regulations, they can be sure that activist groups will have a look at it and we'll go for it. And Hannah, what trends are you seeing as we delve further into 2024? Just picking up on Olaf's comments about greenwashing, I think there's then the question of how activists are going to sort of seek to enforce their rights in that area. I mentioned earlier on that I think the trend for softer shareholder activism will continue in the ESG space. And by that, I mean anything sort of short of formal legal proceedings. And there are lots of different um, mechanisms available. But I suppose if an investor or a shareholder does feel that they've suffered a loss as a result of that greenwashing, then litigation is going to be the route that they go down. 
where shareholders are looking at other forms of um, activity, such as um, claims against boards of directors, I think um, they need to think carefully, as I mentioned, because certainly in this jurisdiction, um, there are some hurdles to overcome and some risks involved. The overarching point is that the trend in shareholder activism will increase. The precise form it takes will depend on what it is the shareholder is seeking to achieve. If they have a financial motivation, they're likely to go through the formal routes. If it's more about driving change, there are a number of different options available. But I think one thing that's very important for every company to consider is how best to bring shareholders along on its ESG journey so that any sort of perceived disconnect between what the company is seeking to achieve around ESG goals and activities and the expectations of its shareholders are narrowed as far as possible. And I think that's critical for any company seeking to mitigate what are obviously very disruptive potential consequences to shareholder activism. Thank you for joining us. For more information on this podcast or any other topics we've covered so far, head to the website hoganlovells.com.